Welcome to the Off the Hook Arts Alcove podcast, a weekly dive into pieces by some of our beloved artists. The Arts Alcove features writers, musicians, painters, photographers, actors, and many more. We are so excited to have you joining us today. First, let's talk a little bit about Off the Hook Arts, which is a nonprofit based in Fort Collins, Colorado. Our mission is to provide free and low-cost music performance education for students in the community, while at the same time cultivating a love of the performing arts through public concerts featuring world-class musicians and interdisciplinary collaborations among the arts, sciences, and humanities. My name is Abby Jordan, and I'm the Arts Alcove Coordinator. Every semester, Off the Hook takes on a team of interns across several fields of study to help them explore what their field might look like in the sector of arts nonprofits. Our intern, Dominic Dakovich, is joined today by musician Ryan Marvel to discuss the Winter Solstice Miniatures, a trio of cello and piano duets composed by Ryan Marvel and Heidi Mausbach that he submitted to the Arts Alcove. My name is Ryan Marvel. I am a pianist, arranger, and composer here in Fort Collins. And uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter who's a freshman at Fort Collins High School. Um, I've been living in Colorado for about 15 years, I guess now. Born a native of Colorado, but just moved back to Colorado about 15 years ago. And um, love Fort Collins, love being outdoors, um, you know. Um, have a great family who lives in Pueblo and Arizona and uh, yeah just happy to happy to have the chance to talk very nice so I just got to start with this question who's yeah. your favorite superhero <laughs> favorite superhero would probably be Iron Man all right at least you're choosing from Marvel Studios I was just making sure yes <laughs> have to right <laughs> uh, so what what made you leave Colorado for that little bit of time um, I moved out to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota for a couple of years to follow a girl and uh, that didn't that didn't work out, but we're still friends, which is good. Um, and then moved to Phoenix, Arizona for about eight years and did music down there and worked in the restaurants down there. And then finally was just kind of tired of not having seasons anymore. So came back to Fort Collins and um, have absolutely loved it. So when did you make that change from um, going one one job and making music to now? Are you just making music or do you have more work on the side? Yeah, so I, I worked in the restaurant industry for about 25 years. Um, I started as a busboy when I was 15 and kind of worked my way up to, you know, server, bartender, and then, and then ended up managing for about 10 years. And I know I, I kind of hit a crossroads in, in 2000, just like I was I was feeling like that pull to go back to music because music has always been super important to me as a kid. And um, I was starting with, uh, I, was, I was working at a church down there doing music like two hours a week. It was very minimal. 
but it just kept me in the game enough to, you know, make me realize how much I loved it. Um, so I finally made the decision to release my first album and take the plunge, and that was in 2005. Um, and then from then on, when I when I moved up here, I started a, a job in a, a church doing music full time as a music director. And then since then, I've released five more albums. So yeah, it was sort of a crossroads of I could I could do the restaurant thing and probably have a decent career, but I wasn't happy. I was never getting outside, you know. wasn't athletic at all. I was pasty and white, and it just wasn't wasn't a good thing. And um, you know, as as fun as a restaurant industry can be, it was pretty stressful. So I wanted to get back to music because that's what I was always hard for me. What what was it like dropping your first album and taking that plunge? What what would be some advice you'd have for those younger artists who are trying to go through that same thing right now? Mm, uh, just go for it. You know, I mean, it's it is not an easy industry, of course, and especially in the times we find ourselves now. But um, I think if you love something enough and you you know feel like you have a voice to share, um, what I I wanted to do it because I love connecting people through music. I love to share of myself through that. It's a very vulnerable thing for me to do. So to me, it was a way to connect with people, make community or, you know, share my my voice, I guess. So advice, I would say, just go for it. And, you know, especially now, it's pretty easy to uh, make music in your own home, produce it, send it out. You know, you don't have to go to a big fancy studio anymore and you don't have to have a big record deal anymore, you know. Um, and even now, probably more so that you can release singles and you don't have to do a whole album. It's kind of the yeah. way we all listen yeah. music now. So, yeah, I, it, it felt scary, but it was the right call. And I'm grateful for that scary moment. And, um, you know, there's been scary moments since, <laughs> but <laughs> all been worth it. <laughs> so speaking about your voice, um, I was watching your Overwhelm video. Um, yeah. And I was just, how... What, how did you decide that you want to move your right hand over your left? Like what, what made you want to make that artistic decision? Especially because behind the piano, most people probably will not see that unless they see the video. Right. Yeah, it's always, that's a fun one to perform when people can see the keyboard. Um, almost always on my concerts, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that people can see the whole range of the keyboard because of pieces like that. And I think people really do love to see the hands. You know, that's why I think when you, to a classical concert people are usually on the left side of the auditorium um but yeah i to me that piece is a very personal one and, and the left hand crossing over is always that that voice rising above the noise of the right hand that's just sort of always there you know and to me it's such a prevalent piece of our time right now is that there's so much noise there's so much you know dissonance and uh, polarization and that rising one note melody was kind of this idea of we've got to keep positive. We've got to keep, you know, thinking about love to overwhelm cowardice and light to overwhelm hatred. It, it wasn't like I am overwhelmed, but let us overwhelm sort of idea. And so that was the, the physical manifestation of that idea of rising. I guess that's why the left hand crosses over. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, can you just describe your artistic journey because really i'm not very familiar with piano music so i couldn't hear you know the scales and all that but seeing your your hand movements and your work it seems like you're bringing in a whole another aspect 
to the piano mm -hmm. that I really haven't seen before. Mm, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, just a, a nutshell, I, I was trained classically. Um, I started when I was about five years old playing by ear because I, my brother was taking lessons, he was two years older, and he started taking piano lessons, and I thought that was cool because anything that my brother did was cool. So I was like, oh, and I started to arrange some things by ear, and so my parents got me into lessons pretty quickly after that. Um, I was able to play from ear quite early, and I think I frustrated my teachers because they weren't sure how to do that, you know, or they sure weren't how to teach that, I should say. And I really resisted learning notes. I I didn't want to because I could show up and say, well, I'm going to play this, and I would play it, but it was in the wrong key, you know, and they're like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting few first teachers to go through, especially when you're seven, eight, and nine, you know. Um, but I finally found a teacher when I was about 12 who was a good ear training teacher and a good uh, note reading teacher. I was able to meld those two worlds together and I'm forever grateful because she taught me this idea that creativity doesn't just have to come from uh, theory. It, it, that can help it, theory can support it or you know, knowing how to read polyrhythms or understand you know, textures and things like that help but then really the creativity comes from you and so that was kind of a big moment and from then on I just wanted to be in music because I figured I could use my own voice to create um, and then I went to classical I was I was in classical for a long time I thought I wanted to go to Juilliard for classical music um, kind of studied that way uh, until I was about 17 and auditioned at Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia and was way out of my league. I mean, had no business being there because I just, you know, I wasn't practicing eight to 10 hours a day like a lot of the other students would be. So I didn't make it in obviously. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I think that would have not fulfilled me. Um, I think that that kind of structure and grind, which I have utmost respect for, it just doesn't fit my lifestyle. I like too many different things. So I'm grateful that I didn't, and it was a good learning experience. Um, so to tile that into what I do now, I, to me, it's um, I had the ear training already so I could play things, I could create things, but I was able to get the classical training, so support the theory kind of in a backwards way. And now I'm a teacher and a conductor and, and uh, a composer, so I'm able to put all those things together to you know, create the textures that I want. Um, and I'm always learning, you know, I mean, I'm always trying to do different stuff, but um, I'm, I think I'll always sort of go back and forth between classical and contemporary classical and um, new age, I guess, if you call it that, you know, because I like the creativity. So, yeah. Um, so how has it been being a composer and teaching online? How, how, how have you seen that go for you? I love composing. I feel like, you know, kind of going back to the voice, it's a way for me to be open and vulnerable. Um, it's hard to stay true to your craft because i think in that you know nowadays especially if you want to be uh recognized you know on spotify or pandora or wherever people are consuming music you have to keep releasing music all the time and you know after a month you're not relevant anymore and so uh you see artists who are just churning out churning out churning out churning out you know just to stay relevant which I understand you know, that's part of the business structure that, that this world is in right now, but I, I'm finding composing being sort of my 
my way to stay true to my voice as a musician and say, okay, this is, this is what I'm feeling now. I want to share this, whether it does well, you know, from a capital sense, or if it just reaches people in a healing sense, I would much rather that latter, much rather resonate with people um, and tell my story. I'm a big believer. I always say that at my concerts, I want to tell my story through music instead of sell a bunch of records. It'd be great if I could do both, but to me, it's more important to follow that voice. So um, teaching online is great. I, I have actually really enjoyed, I love teaching. It's just, you know, so much fun to really get to know each person. I have a wide range of ages, but uh, teaching online, you know, it's certainly different. Um, we are all married to our screens now and, you know, um, but it's part of this, what we're all going through. So to me, thank God that we have this medium so we can continue to make music together, to connect with lessons. Um, a lot of my students say this, and I feel the same way. If, if they didn't have the piano, they'd be bouncing off the walls, you know? So at least there's something to do. Um, and honestly, a lot of them are really progressing because they have a lot of time on their hands. So, so. It's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? Definitely, definitely, yeah. So you were kind of, not, not to age you here, but yep. you, were, you were before the internet making music and now mm -hmm. 20 years down the road, you're six albums deep. How have you seen the internet change your music? You were speaking about staying true to yourself. Has the internet as a medium helped you do that or hurt you in that ability? Um, I would say helped. I, I don't think, I mean, there's no way that I could have the reach that I do without the internet. You know, I'm, Spotify, I've got, you know, one of my, my countries that's the most listened to music is in the Philippines. I have no idea. I mean, I, I didn't send my music there, right? So um, maybe I'll go tour there someday. But it's it's interesting to watch that and, and dial it up and all, all these um, platforms have that where you can see where your music is being streamed. And that's really cool. Um, you know, the, the, the idea used to be that you start locally, you build out regionally, maybe you tour the state, then maybe a four-state tour, and then you know, so you sort of go out and out and out, and then if you hit it big, you go to Europe. Now, people in Europe can listen about music the same day it's released, and uh, I can do my online concerts, and they can watch it too. You know, so it's it's a, such a such a cool way to get music out there. I guess the only downside to the internet. Um, sort of side, two sides of the same coin is that people don't purchase albums or tickets much anymore because it's so available. You know, music is, is just available everywhere. So for an artist, it's tricky. You know, you don't, you don't want to sell out and give everything away for free, but if you don't do that, you're not going to get followers. <laughs> so, you know, it's tough to say, well, I only want to sell albums or make money because it's tough to do that. But I think, if you can find a balance of touring, um, meeting people online, and, and trying to get your music out that way, but then also performing locally or regionally and forming personal relationships, that's where people start to buy your music and really get a relationship with you and things like that. So I would say most of the time it's a, it's a positive. Um, I came up with my first album, it was CD Baby, was like the only thing that was around, you know, the store, and it was like a big deal. And uh, they're still around, but, you know, they are morphing also because it's a very different platform now. So 
you know. So it's um, I'm grateful for it, but you know, there's there's pros and cons for sure. So um, I was looking through your work. You've worked with a lot of different instruments. Are there any that you enjoy playing with the most, and how how do you play with them now, especially with it being online? Um, probably cello. I would say I've done the most work with. Um, I've just always loved the cello. It's one. It's an instrument I would play if I didn't play piano. Um, I've never taken instruments or, or string instrument instruction at all, but I've always just loved the sound of it and the timbre, and it just has this you know warm feeling, and it goes so well with piano. And um, Johannes Brahms, his piano, cello uh, sonatas are just gorgeous, and I fell in love with those in my early twenties. So. I think when I started to hear some of that stuff, I was just like drawn to that. So I started to write for cello, uh, which is a funny process when you're an artist string player, because <laughs> you know you don't really have an understanding of their fingering or you know leaps that are physically not not possible. And so I've had the luck to work with a couple of cellists who are very kind and and will say, well, yeah, I can't really do that, or that's not comfortable under my hand. Um, so I've been able to hone my craft through those conversations, but um, yeah, I think I think they both go so well together, the, the cello and piano. So to answer your question as far as how I do it now, most of the time these have been all in person before COVID. Um, the most recent example of the the, the cello and miniature, uh, or sorry, cello and piano miniatures for, for winter solstice were written two years ago, but then we recorded them this, this summer in Boulder. And that was an interesting experience because we were actually physically distanced in the studio with masks on and you know, it worked fine. So um, yeah, it's, it's, we haven't done any kind of collab where it's just been one person recording and sending it to the other. It was actually live in-person recording, which was helpful. So, so you you waited two years until you recorded a so how did did it sound like how you thought it would on paper what was that like well we performed it so so we wrote them actually for off the hook uh winterfest 2019 um I, when i met with jepta uh she said you know we're, we're looking at doing a program on nature and music and um i kind of challenged myself to create a new piece now originally i was thinking just piano piece for that program because it was going to be you know, also a piano. I thought, you know, it'd be cool to do something with cello and, and piano because the Solpont cello, that's that icy cello sound and, you know, all these things that they can do. And um, so I kind of challenged myself to write this set of miniatures for that concert. So we debuted them then in January of 2019 and then again in February and then again this last January. So we had performed them three times as a set. Uh, so the sheet music was all written out and then people were saying that they would like to listen to him. In addition to that, I thought, hey, let's, let's record him. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a cool experience to record a couple of years after, but it was uh, so, so worth it. Yeah, that's insane because, yeah. you know, you hear about the people rereading their work years later, like, right. oh, geez. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I did change a couple of things. Um, I mean, that was that's kind of fun to do. In fact, I do that all the time on my recordings. When you record it, you know, in May and say it doesn't come out until September. And then you listen to it in November and you're like, I don't play it like that again at all. You know, I, I've changed that passage or when I perform it in concert, I go back to listen to my previous stuff. I'm like, wow, I've, I've changed. But I think that's good because that means that you're going as a composer and a performer. Um, I mean, not to say that the recording is bad, but 
but it's stagnant. It's not living and breathing anymore, right? Your, your performance is still organic and you have those things. And I think people appreciate hearing it in a different way anyway. So, yeah. So from album one to six, how have you seen yourself improve? And what are some benchmarks that other artists could look at as saying this is improving? Hmm. Um, album one, I didn't really have like a, a, a clear direction on what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to, to get an album out. So I, I did this mishmash of, um, you know, half classical, couple jazz, couple Broadway, and two originals. So it was just a little bit of everything. And I called it left hand, right hand, because I was experimenting with the idea of structure versus creativity and left brain, right brain. So it ended up being a cool concept. Um, I guess listening to it now, I it seems um, abrupt. Like, you know, it doesn't have a real clear uh, from track one to track 16 or, or I can't remember how many tracks were on that, but um, I like the recordings. But it's now in my recordings, I really think about okay, what's the what's the flow, what's the arc of the album, you know? And especially if it's all original, it's much easier to do that. Um, and I put a lot of contact or thought into my concerts that way too, because I think the listening experience is so different if you mix up the tracks. Um, so today's world. How many people listen to an album start to finish? Rarely, right? So it's now that's a little bit less of a an issue, but I still like to, especially on my, my recent two um, original albums, you know, I, when I listen to them from start to finish, they tell a story. And that's part of that voice we're talking about. And it's important to me, and I think people pick up on that. But then then you also try to pick out a piece if you can say, okay, if someone heard only this piece and only this piece ever on this album, would it make sense? So that's the challenge is to strike that balance, you know, and, and taking it out of context and not only working within the flow of the album. Um, so I guess I would say I, I'm much more comfortable in the studio, I'm much more comfortable creating a, an arc of an album, writing an album with the idea that it would be listened to in and out of context and not just recording what I had ready, you know, but writing to my feelings during that time. So I like that. So you you really enjoy the right the right hand, left hand, right brain, left brain, and the piano uses that so well. So yeah. what what kind of made you start having that thought of creativity versus the linear ideas? I think just the idea that I, you know, kind of the way I, I approached music from the beginning was that creative side was just sort of there. I had no idea where it came from. I just sort of, you know, I could play things by ear. Couldn't really explain it. You know, even in, in my early days of teaching, I, you know, I still struggle with that. Like I'm like, yeah, can't you hear that chord? You know, like I, I can just, I can do it before explaining it. Um, and then the idea that the structure also has to be there and my brother's a, a doctor, he's an anesthesiologist. He and I talk about this all the time. So, you know, this idea that he's got this incredible amount of knowledge and and um, structure to his life that I, just, I am so in awe of, you know, the ability to just retain that information. Uh, and he's one of the most beautiful human beings also. And so he's got this blend of, you know, those, those two sides. So I guess that idea of, um, you know, two sons 
kind of having a different approach. He's actually very musical also, but you know, it's, I, I was never into science. I was never into school. It just, it mostly came natural, but when I had to work at it, it was like, yeah, <laughs> I just don't want to do it. You know? So I, I think the left brain, right brain was born out of that to, to discover like how, do we cognitively think about these two hands working together? Um, do we think about the creative style and the structure? Maybe yes, maybe no. And everybody's probably on some sort of spectrum there, you know? So, yeah. Have you made music with your brother or have you guys co-worked on anything? What, what's that like? We have, it's fun. Um, he's, he's a great singer. So that's his, his main instrument. He also plays piano too. Um, so we would, I would play a lot and he would sing. He's got a great bass voice. And we wrote a duet uh, for my mom, I think, when we were in like, I don't know, he was like 14, I was 12. It was just like a little boogie woogie thing. And every once in a while at Christmas, we'll break that out again, which is super fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that's, I mean, we've always been best friends and we're super close. So we'll sit down and play things. And uh, he's always been a huge supporter of my music. And I, I think he's just one of the best doctors and humans out there so you know we have a really good relationship and talk about our crafts our passions and i feel like we both went toward our passion you know um but also appreciated the others so yeah but it's it, he, he's sung at a couple of my concerts too which has been kind of fun too so yeah oh that's awesome as as a family man now that you are you know you have a kid and yeah. all that so how have you been how have you been able to balance music and especially now where mu music doesn't have a lot of money in it, how have you been able to find uh, a balance between your passions and what you actually need to do as a person in society? Mm, that's, uh, that's a huge question <laughs> uh, and a good one. Um, yeah, I think we're all struggling to balance right now, right? I mean, we're, it's such a unique time. Um, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for the fact that I do have great base of a family i've got amazing parents and an amazing brother we've always had each other's back you know so support wise emotionally financially whatever I, I know that's there so that's huge just to allow yourself to kind of still create and things like that and not panic um my daughter i'm grateful that she's old enough to be able to navigate the pandemic probably you know better than the two to three year old um and I, where I don't have to be online school with her, she can take care of herself. She, she knows how to do that. She's very responsible and pretty chill about this stuff. So I'm grateful there also, you know, she's made that very easy. Um, and we have a great relationship. So when she's home, you know, I can be playing piano or teaching and she can be doing her own thing. And so, and she's honestly, she's a great, um, editor of my music and, uh, inspiration and a lot of times I'll be like hey what do you think about this song or you know I've been doing a lot of covers lately and she she will throw ideas out you know it's like oh do a Taylor Swift song or do a Billie Eilish cover or something like that and some of those some of those covers have done really well so you know she's got her pulse on the <laughs> on the ones that'll do well so um you know as far as balance in the world I I think it's tricky um you know, again, having this medium to be able to still teach online, to still still uh, reach people musically. I do online concerts so you can reach people there. Uh, still able to compose. Um, I'm going to go record this weekend in Arizona again. So I'm still mainly doing what I did before, 
just not touring as much as I used to, obviously, live music. And that's that's been the biggest hit, I think. It's just been such a shame to not connect with audiences in person. And um, I know so many musicians are feeling that in our community and around the world. So I'm looking forward to the day that that all changes again. So you're covering music that is electronically made. Is that key the, the same to your ear, even though it's made you know, on a MIDI keyboard, for example? Um, further explain, put more words around that, I'm sorry. Well, like Billie Eilish, her music is electronic. You know, it's not from like an actual yeah. instrument. So when you listen gotcha. to it, do you still hear the chords as if it was an actual instrument or is there something you have to do? Yeah, and I actually I haven't done the Billie Eilish one yet, but um, yeah, so I, I did, you know, Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift, um, Louis Capaldi, things like that. Um, yeah, I usually just listen to it and I can go, you know, pretty much play it in whatever key they did it in. And, just, it, you know, sometimes like, like Billie Eilish would be more difficult because she does have a lot of bass and, you know, synth music and things that are sampled or whatnot. And that'd be tricky to get the rhythmic quality of it. Um, but yeah, you can, you can kind of get creative in finding the, the harmonics and the chords and then just sort of creating texture between the left and the right hand to try to make it sound like drums or things like that. Um, that's fun, you know, and what I'm finding honestly is that I, I do some, I do quite a few house concerts in normal times and my most popular concerts have been what I can call request concerts. And so I just say, you know, a month in advance, I need to know what they want to hear and people can write in and say, this is what I'd like to hear. And those concerts sell out so fast because it's the music that they know, right? So it might be something from the fifties or something from now, or, you know, something from, they remember it as a child or something. It's pretty cool. So I think people resonate with the music that they know. So. That's incredible. So you pretty much play 500 years of music. So out of the, out of that 500 years, who's a handful of names that inspires you? Um, I would say classical composers <clears throat> without getting too specific of, of classical periods. I, I loved Mozart growing up. Um, my favorite romantic periods would probably be Rachmaninoff and Brahms. I just think they have a way to tell stories and just such longing in their music. Um, your Rachmaninoff is quite challenging. So, you know, some of it's not as accessible, but some of the stuff is just tear your heart out, just so gorgeous. Um, love Beethoven symphonies, of course. Um, Mendelssohn. Um, I do like opera. Um, you know, Puccini, of course, is always great with the aria. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I listen. I grew up listening to Barry Manilow when I was a kid. My dad was a huge Barry Manilow fan, so I had a songbook and I, you know, played all the records and learned all the songs. And in fact, when I was 10 years old, I was so bummed because he was coming to McNichols Arena in Denver, which was kind of the old Pepsi Center. And uh, I wanted to go, you know, at 10. <laughs> which my parents said no, and that was a smart decision, but I was really pissed. But uh, yeah, he was kind of my hero for, for a while. He was pretty cool. And, and now I would say, you know, Billy Joel, Elton John, um, trying to think other, Adele, I love her stuff. I don't know, pe artists who 
are not afraid to tell their story through music. And, you know, you can listen to it and you're like, man, and you just, it just grabs you. That's, that's what I'm interested in, you know. And I'll put on the Eagles. I'll put on the Beatles. You know, I, I love all that stuff, too. But it, when, I, when I hear a song and it's just like people are just pouring their heart out, that, that's it for me. You know, musical theater also, I would say. So what, what but, sh- should I be listening to if I'm just hearing a piano record, no words? How, how is that story told? What are some little, little hints you could give me so I could understand it better? That's a great question. I I would say it's pretty subjective. I mean, I guess I meet fans a lot of you know the solo piano music genre, whether that's new age or you know a lot of people name George Winston or David Lands or um, Jim Berkman things like that. Um, I mean, it's ubiquitous. There's so many artists out there, but to me, I guess what I try to relay is, is, is an emotion or a feeling is, is number one. That's, that's when I sit down and write some music, it's how I'm feeling. And the name might come later, the, you know, the, the finished scale or finished composition might come later, but it starts with the feeling. And I have a little recorder and I say, you know, I don't write anything out. I, I just do it all by ear and I remember it. So I'll, I'll say, uh, March 7th, raining uh cup of tea thinking about whatever you know and then i'll just start playing and so really for me it comes from an emotion and and to me when i hear that in other people's music when i hear emotion not necessarily that i have to tell you what to feel but if i can find an emotion that resonates with me and and that music in someone else's music then it's then it's personal and then it comes across as oh that piece of music hit me that day that i listened to it when I was feeling whatever. And that to me is the important thing, so. Yeah, so all emotions aren't the same, obviously. Some of them are much harder to define. So what are some of your favorite ones when to, to write for or to create? I don't know, people tell me that my music is sad, so. <laughs> and I'm a pretty happy guy, which is funny, but, um, but I, I will say that a lot of my music, especially my more popular pieces, um, came out of a, a time in my life which was very challenging, that I had some personal challenges and I had made some bad choices. And so I think me working through those things came through. Um, so I would say healing is kind of what I usually describe it. In fact, when people say, oh, that's a sad record, I'll say, well, no, it's a human record with the idea that we're all, we're all struggling somehow. You know, and we don't often explain that. Um, I mean, I think now it's easier to say, yeah, we're all struggling. But but if you think about two years ago, you know, most of the time when you meet someone on the street and say, hello, hi, how are you? Fine. But we're not always fine, right? So we, we always say that. So I, I think this idea of starting to put that little mask on and say, we're good, we're good, and not really opening up. Certainly there's a time and place for that, but I think the idea of feeling all the ranges of emotion, and that's why I talk about human music, is it, it needs to hit the joy, the pain, um, the levity, the sadness, the struggle, all those things need to kind of come together. Um, and then you find a balance, I guess. So when you do listen to a piece of sad music, it's not super depressing but it might make you feel a certain way, you know, or if you listen to a super, you know, happy piece of music, it's not so over the top happy, 
that you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> so I think that's I think there's a little bit of each in there. So yeah, I would say healing or or human emotion. Um, a lot of artists bring up you know muses or you know g- going through the struggling time and making the music that's you know brought them forward. So how how do you continue this this creation even if you might not be struggling all the way or if if you might not have the muses at your disposal that you used to how have you been able to get through that yeah it's a great question and i i something that i've struggled with uh when when i released reflecting forward which was from 2017 that was kind of my first album out of that time and i just sort of you know went like this and poured everything out and so it came out it was a very healing record and then i was just exhausted and I, I couldn't write anything for a while because it was like, there's nothing there, you know? And so I did a Christmas record. So that was a really good antidote to, to trying to sort of refill the cup of the muse, I guess. Um, and that, so that brought some levity and joy. And then I did sort of a follow-up record, but it was a little more positive and more reflective and not necessarily about the pain, but not about the process of going through. Um, so not all about the darkness, but about the, the balance of light and dark. Um, and then, you know, the, the cello pieces are within that time period too. And that's just about, you know, nature and music. And so it's not as personal. Um, and yeah, I, you know, then the covers, I guess, have, have allowed that too. Yeah. Cause some of these covers are happy. Some are, some are more reflective. Some are about social justice with the racial justice stuff that happened this summer. I did some of those. So um, it's allowed me to sort of do different elements of music where it doesn't always have to be this, take my heart out and, and pull it out. Um, and I'm working on a new album now and I'm struggling with that very thing you talked about. It's like, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> can I, can I write pieces in a, in a major key? You know, I don't know. So it's, it's really, an, it's almost a, a very evolution of, of composition and you find yourself going back to some of that stuff that you did before and it maybe just doesn't resonate as much. Um, so I, the answer is, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the next album is going to sound like completely yet. So, yeah. When you speak on covers and you're talking about some of the racial injustice ones you're doing, how, how can you traverse that as, you know, being the white person you are, how have you been able to, you know, give, give it the respect while also adding your own flair to it? Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, I would say it's more social justice. Um, I just was so, I felt like I, I couldn't be out in the streets and I'm trying to, you know, march with people or, or, you know, hold hands with people and, and come together during that time. So I did a lot of um, online concerts you know, following you know, George Floyd's murder and, and, and I was just wanting to, put music out there, you know, so um, not always racial justice, but, you know, Imagine by John Lennon and Hallelujah by Leonard Cullen and then Stand By Me, um, Bridge Over Troubled Water, you know, things that can apply to all different levels of life. Um, yeah, because I'm sensitive to the fact that I I, I shouldn't speak uh, as, as I know what that feels like, you know, because I don't, I don't, absolutely. But if I can provide a blanket or an emotion through music that would allow people to heal, great. That's that's all I can do, and that was my only hope for doing those things. So, 
Yeah. And I mean, especially because you lived in Minneapolis for a little bit, so that had to hit home pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, and I've got some relatives there um, who were, you know, talking about it, like, yeah, because that really was sort of first city that, you know, had some reaction to it. And, and um, it was just a couple of days after it happened and they were watching that video and they said, yeah, we just, we're not really sure what to do, you know? And so it felt like community building, even just on a small scale, you know? And, and uh, I think if, if artists are doing that, I mean, performance artists, dancers, writers, I mean, all, all of us are trying to do something like that. I think that's a beautiful thing to, if nothing else, it spreads light, you know, and, and people can grab onto that light and hang on to it for a little while. That's your home, I guess. So, yeah. We've kind of talked about that community aspect, especially with the internet, you know, the Philippines being your number one region, but how do you feel that you've affected Colorado with your music? So I was director of music at a church for 11 years here in Fort Collins um, from 2006 to 2017. And so, I guess the immediate impact I think about is is that community that I was involved in, um, which I felt very connected to. And you know, when you when you are able to to bring voices together in song or or just play music and you know for a quiet moment in a service, um, I think that that resonates at a community level there. Um, and then from there, it started to become house concerts in the community, you know, trying to, to meet with people individually. Um, and then when those records came out, like Reflecting Forward, which was very personal, that was the chance to really, really, really resonate with people on an individual level, but also in a concert setting, um, which is why house concerts to me are, are really great because it's about 25 people at this huge stage where you feel a separation but you feel like you can really connect. You know, you're you're three feet from the piano when you're sitting in those things. And that's, that vibration is such a, you know, poignant piece to it. So, um, you know, and I've performed a little bit with the Front Range Chamber players uh, back 2010 or 2009, I think. So yeah, just, you know, and, and Off the Hook was an example of, you know, Winterfest a couple of years ago, um, just trying to be more involved um, some of my students do, um, they used to have something at CSU called, uh, student achievement day. I don't know if they still do that, but it was kind of like a musical day of, you know, workshops and lessons and performances for students of all levels to go do that. So, um, I love to, to do that stuff because I think, you know, the more people you meet and again, it's not happening now, but the more people you meet, the better your community becomes. And, um, you can learn so much, you know, and so online is great, but that in-person interaction is, is so important. How, how has the uh, religion it? side of your music helped you? Sorry, that, sorry, that was like a random, uh, sorry, let me rephrase oh. this. How has, yeah, yeah, yeah. how has making religious music helped you, but also connect you to more audiences that maybe weren't religious at the beginning? Good question. So I'm not religious at all. <laughs> um, I the, this the church was a Unitarian Universalist, which is a pretty liberal faith. Um, you know, they their their principles are social justice and very inclusive, uh, loving tradition. Um, 
So that I first got involved with them down in uh, Chandler, Arizona, and that was seven years. And I was just just doing accompanying for the choir. And that really, to answer your question, is how has, how did it change my music? I think what it, what I felt was I was free to create, you know. And I I'd played in churches as I was growing up as a kid for special music or you know tons of weddings, tons of funerals, things like that. And I always felt like it was kind of a little bit of a box that I had to, you know, like you play now and you stop here, you know, or you play the hymn and then we'll sing and that's it. So after when I started to be more free to create or, or just improvise, you know, say for a, like a prayer time or a, a silent reflection time, I was a lot of times composing or, or just improvising. And so that there was this freedom of um, thought, I guess. And that sort of opened me up to the idea of finding your voice in front of people, you know, in, in real time, really. And so, and yeah, that did open me up to performance opportunities, whether it's house concerts or duets, or that's where I met all the instrumentalists that I performed with, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly broadened the reach. Um, and... You know, to play at other churches, I, I always find an appreciation, I guess, for music. You know, people talk about the reasons they go to church. Music is usually pretty high in that reason, I think, because people love the community, they love the singing. I'm a choral director as well, and to me, that the power of that being together is, and singing together is, is amazing, which I think is what's so hard about now is people can't really do that. And um, I think... You know, orchestras and choirs are really struggling because that community piece of being able to come together and create something beautiful in real time, there's such an energy and you, know, you can't really recreate that on a computer, you know, even if you sync it up, <laughs> it's not the same. So, yeah. Um, music education. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry my bad. Um, I was going to say music education has kind of, you know, not been spent or not not as much money has been used on it. And, you know, your daughter's in high school now. So how have you seen music education in schools evolve and how do you feel about it? I wish there was more. I mean, I, I remember being, you're growing up and it seemed like the band programs, I, I played trumpet as a kid and the band programs were always well-funded. They were well-attended. Um, you know, they didn't have to <clears throat> beg parents for donations as, as they do now. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we're lucky here in Fort Collins. My, my daughter went to Lesher, great music program there. She's at Fort Collins. It was her first year, but great music program there. So she's been lucky in her experience. Um, but I, you've, we've seen funding be cut and cut and cut, you know, and I, I know the, the, the comparison's always football gets all the money and, and music doesn't get... I'm a football fan, so I, you know, no judgment there, but um, it would be great if we valued the arts as much as we do certain other programs, I guess. And um, and also supported arts in the, with the same vigor that we do uh, engineering and mathematics and you know, journalism, whatever, whatever you want to do, you should be able to do with the utmost respect and, and support. And so... You know, I hope that education for music and arts and any kind of creative arts is always a priority. And, you know, thank God for people that are 
you know, bestowing that. I think we're, we're lucky in this community with Pat Stryker and so many who are into the arts that we're, it's great here, but it's not the truth everywhere else. So, um, yeah, I, I wish, I wish it was more well-funded for sure. And, uh, just, just cause we're speaking on that. How did you hear about off the hook arts? I think, um, I don't remember how I met Jeff. Uh, I think we were doing, so I did a, a chamber music concert every year at, at the church that I was director of music for. And every winter we would do a winter chamber concert and we would invite musicians from CSU, professional musicians around the area. And I think that's when I met her for the first time. She came as a violinist with two or three other people that may have been involved in the church and then she just joined them. Um, and I met her and remember, I was blown away by her violin, of course, she's incredible. Um, and then she started the piano at um, which was an annual event down at the Northern Hotel. Um, so I saw my students got involved in that. And then we just got to know each other. And I, I think Heidi Mosbach, my jobs colleague, and Ann Schneid are involved in it, and Bobby Milky. And so I, there's a lot of musicians that are involved in it. I, I do so sort of, as it evolved, I, I got to know that a little bit better. It seems like you work with a lot of women. So how have you seen the feminine versus masculine affect the music? Interesting. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I don't know why that is. Actually, I, I have to say uh, Heidi's husband, Charlie, Charlie Tucker, is a fantastic uh, cellist. He was uh, principal cellist of the Fort Collins Symphony, but then he had to retire and, and now Heidi's in that position, so both husband and wife are incredible cellists. In fact, their son, Emmett, is one of my piano students. Um, but So I performed with him first uh, for Front Range Chamber Players and also at church. And I think that's how I met Heidi. Um, Charlie was on the music committee at the church. And so that's an interesting thought. But other than that, it's always been with females. So, yeah, I, I don't... I don't necessarily know why. Um, I mean, my, my choirs are, you know, certainly mixed and things like that. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I would say I my experience is that there are, there are more creatives in female um, musicians than I have met males. That doesn't mean that's always the case, but um, maybe more willing to just be open to ideas and things like that. Again, I, I'm not speaking, you know, collegiately about it. So that would be my, my experience. Well, I, I, I love collaborating with anybody. I mean, I really do. Um, I think the female voice, I, I've played with a lot of the vocalists and most of them have been female. I just feel like there's a, the female voice goes well with piano, not to say that males don't, but it's just this, the timbre is such a different area that it, it seems to work really well. So. Yeah, I was just interested because that's seemed to be something pretty big in the music world now is, you know, a lot more women have been entering it. And I feel like a lot more men have been kind of staying with their same path and these women are becoming trailblazers. So I was just seeing if. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. We as a teacher, um, some of my adult students have really gotten into to playing some of the, the female composers who were largely ignored, you know, in, in their time. Clara Schumann, you know, everybody hears about Robert Schumann, 
but Clara was arguably a much better pianist than he was, and quite a great composer. You know, but she didn't get the recognition back then that uh, she deserved, certainly. And um, Amy Beach, and you know, there's so many that um, were prolific composers, but just at the time, it wasn't getting the, the reach. So I'm I'm grateful to see that it's way overdue. <laughs> way overdue you know and so i think as we face this social justice issue that we're having of you know um the society that has been built on patriarchy i think it's great to face those things in the arts too you know i'm not sure exactly always how to get there but we got to be open to trying new composers new uh, sounds new, you know, everything, and not just staying in the thing that worked for the last 40 years. Um, and I think that's that's one thing I'm seeing in classical music, especially getting new composers. You're getting female composers. You're getting African American composers. Um, you're getting young composers instead of just, you know, the old classics, which are great and people love them. But I think if we want that to survive, we're going to have to reach new audience. You have to reach young people. And how do you reach young people? You don't play the old dead white guy's music. You play a lot more interesting stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon. That's actually an interesting point because classical music is not known for being in the younger generation. So how have you been able to have a younger audience? Um... I, I guess it's, I mean, it's diverse. I, I would say most people are, I mean, if you look online on the algorithms, it's most people are between 25 and 40 still, which I think that's a, a younger audience for piano. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not necessarily classical. I, you know, I, I do perform classical pieces and, and things like that. I, I do find that most of the classical requests that I get from my concerts do come from an older uh, generation and maybe that's just because that's what they resonate with um, although I have some of my younger students really love classical music you know and I think it matters the way you present it you know I think if we present it the way it's always been presented or, or can occasionally be presented in this sort of dry well this is what you must do or you must approach it this way you must practice it this way I think you lose the passion of it you know and, I, and if you don't present it as God, someone, someone heard this in their head and then wrote it down. You know, someone was having a bad day and wrote this, or someone was so elated at what was happening in their life. I mean, if you think about the story behind the music, all of a sudden, that comes to life, you know? And there's so many people doing amazing work. Yo-Yo Ma is a great example who, you know, this incredible musician, classically trained, and yet he's done so many crossover things to reach every generation. And I think that's brilliant, uh, especially because he used his fame to then try to reach people. And people are like, oh, if Yo-Yo Ma is doing it, it must be pretty cool. You know, so I think that's that's a brilliant, brilliant path. So if you could, if you could <laughs> play piano for one musician, who would you want to play for? Wow. Um, that's a great question. I can think of people I'd like to play with. Um, I mean, Yo-Yo Ma would certainly be one, although I, I would I would be shaking in my boots 
Um, he's probably the coolest guy ever, but I'd be so nervous. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, Bernstein has since passed, but Leonard Bernstein would have been a great one. I just thought he was just an incredible musician. Um, Stephen Sondheim would be fascinating to talk to. Um, I'd love to play piano and have Adele sing. I mean, my God, that'd be awesome. You know, <laughs> people like that, I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'm trying to think of other people, but that, those would be the people I would name off the top of my head. That's a good crew to work with, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you seem to be really invested in, so, in the social justice. Is there anything you'd like to say just about that in general? Um, you know, I just, I think what it's been such an interesting time, obviously because of COVID and the racial justice that happened and then and now the election. Um, through the eyes of my 14 year old daughter, it's been interesting to talk to her about all of those things because we sometimes forget we come in with these ideas and, you know, goals or thoughts uh, or concerns as a parent. And I think you look to your children to sort of get a, a refreshed view, um, an innocent view, and honestly, usually a little, little more honest view, you know? Um, so that's been helpful for me. Um, so I guess I, I, I don't have any advice. I, to me, I'm trying to live my life through, through her, her eyes and, and her openness, her open heart and, and hope that, you know, she, she, her comment was, I don't really care who wins an election as long as people are nicer to each other. And it seems so simple, you know, it really does. And yet we're having trouble with it. So I, I think just listening more, you know, and one of the things I talk about in, in, um, in my music playing is, is telling my story, but I also encourage people to listen to other stories. And one of the things that was, has been most impactful for me in performing, especially when I'm playing my, my really personal music is that after I perform a concert, you know, someone would come up and in tears and they would say, thank you for sharing your story. Here's what happened to me. And that's what it's all about to me. You know, it's that, that moment of connection, um, that happened a lot. And, and to me, that that's this communication that's listening, listening more instead of talking, you know, we're, we're always talking too much or we're waiting for our turn to talk and not listening. And I think that's the one thing I hope that continues to happen, whether through music or through um, political arenas or, or justice arenas that we just take a beat and listen a little bit better. So I like that. And then, is there uh, any any new work coming up that you'd like to share, or any any projects in the works for Mr. Marvel? Well, so the the Winter Chamber, sorry, I keep saying Chamber. The Winter Solstice miniatures are for cello and piano, and those just released. Um, there are three works that we debuted for the the Winter Fest in 2019 for Opera Cards. Um, those are now out uh, across the streaming platforms. The third one I think releases December 11th. Um, super proud of those. I think they're they're super fun. Uh, the first one's sort of this. It's called the changing light. When you feel that shift of light between fall and winter, 
know, that you just the quality of light changes and you kind of hear the cello and the piano conversing. Um, wind just came out a couple weeks ago and that one's more frenetic, unsettled. It's got a lot of prepared piano and plucking and brushing of the strings um, and uh, icy, icy cello sound, which is full Ponticello. And it sounds like skating on ice. It's just really, you know, unsettling, like wind is. And then the third one, which I love the most, is called The Long Sleep. And that comes out December 11th. And it's just a long, you know, these beautiful long cello lines against this augmented um, piano chord that's deep. And that movement to me is about that time when we're really tired in winter and we keep saying, where's spring, where's spring, where's spring? So the piano keeps saying, can we go to spring yet? Can we go to spring yet? And the cello is like, no, we you know, Mother Nature's going to let us know when it's time for spring. So that's that just eternal rest, that time that we just have to wait and see. And maybe that's kind of where we are now as a society, you know, just kind of being patient and hoping that things are going to get better as we head towards spring. So beyond that, um, I've got a new recording coming up this coming weekend. I'm not, I'll do some covers and I'll do some original music. Um, and then I'll be doing some online concerts for the for the holiday season on Facebook Live. And um, yeah, that's that's what I've got working right now. Dang, you've been staying busy. So how <laughs> how how do you feel like do, doing the Facebook Live shows? Do you feel like you're you're lost because the audience isn't there, or can you still get in the zone just like an actual show? Yeah, the first one was strange. Uh, I kept looking at my phone. I was, and I kept thinking, are they still there? Is anybody there? You know, that was weird. Because um, I, I had it turned away from me, so I didn't see comments coming up. So I wasn't was distracting, but then I was like, well, now it feels just like a blank for myself. So I've got it set up now. I got some nice microphones, and I'm, I use OBS, which is the software that allows you to look at the stream, but also see comments come in. But it can be sort of a way to look at it like this. Um, and so, yeah, in in a way, it's actually been really cool because you like the things like the Rachel Joseph stuff. You know, you're getting people from Minneapolis or or even elsewhere in the world saying, "Hey, we're thinking about you, America," or something like that. So there's been this connection um, that was a little bit surprising. Um, I just started doing the concerts because I didn't know what else to do with COVID. I didn't know what else to do with Rachel Joseph. I thought something I can do. Yeah, maybe, maybe if it reaches someone and they're having a hard day or a health worker is at the end of their rope, maybe they'll catch it on the way home or something, you know. So um, I found that it's it's certainly healing for me um, to just kind of release that musical healing out to the world, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah. You can just share the moment with everyone. That's That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we, I keep thinking, you know, we, we all talk about how we hate looking at a computer eight hours a day. But man, if we didn't have this, I, I don't know what we'd be doing, you know? And so I, I'm grateful that at least we have the, the capacity to, to see faces. You know, so I can see your face. I've never met you, but it's nice to see you, you know? And so at least we've got something to do to connect. And, and the, we can send music out. We can send pictures of kittens. Whatever we're doing, you know, it, it reaches people at least in some way. So until we can get back. 
Yeah, I've always wondered, you know, like back in 1918 when, when this happened to them, like what, what, what did they do when they had to be inside all the time? Yeah, exactly. And, and what, what would our kids be doing in school? I mean, I, teachers would have to like drive to every house. I, I mean, no way, you know, and parents doing schooling then. I, I mean, we would have figured it out. I, I know we all figure it out as we go. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting thought how that would have looked. So, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for staying positive during this time and sharing some cool stuff. That's awesome. Well, I have to credit my parents uh, and family. You know, they've always been optimistic people. And, um, you know, they, they celebrated their 50th anniversary this year. We couldn't be with them to do that. Um, you know, we're probably not going to be with them for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And yet they're the happiest, most lovely people in the world they're like hey we're healthy that's all we can ask for you know and so um i have to credit them for that outlook i think you know i as, as bad as situations are i know i have it pretty well i, I know i have it pretty good so i, I can't <laughs> you know and um I, you know things like this things like music things like um you know, kindnesses that are happening all over the world we've got to lift that up too and make sure that we can you know, continue to grow from that. So, yes, yes. yes. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just appreciate the, the time and, and the chance to talk to you, and I uh, really enjoyed it. What year are you? I'm a junior at Colorado <laughs> State, actually. So, how is how is online been for you with with you? You know, I'm I'm loving it. I don't have to make that, you know, I've been complaining about the 30-minute walk so you can tell how my exercise level's been. So I am absolutely loving it. But Yeah. It's just, Do you feel like the instruction is, is pretty much the same? Or? I mean, I'd say even better because I got more time to pause, to chill, to relax, you know, because sometimes okay. you sit in class, you, you think about something, three slides go by and like, whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But, and how long have you been with intern but, or intern to get uh, off the hook? Uh, since August. Oh, cool. Yeah. So right. this are, you, are you a musician as well? No, actually, uh, I just like doing video and they hired me. So I was like, perfect. I, I will definitely take this. And now I have a, f after talking to so many artists like you, I have a completely different understanding of music now that I would have never had. Oh. So it's incredible. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I never grew up listening to classical music. You know, I yeah. grew up listening to Ditto, like Annie Lennox, those are my people. Yeah. So it's just yeah. interesting to get this whole other side of creation without yeah. words, I guess, would be. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. Well, and, and they do some really interesting programs, you know. Um, I, I love Bruce Adolph's stuff, and um, it's just, it's unique and creative. And um, Jeff is just, I mean, she's such a creative force. You know, she, she does so many great things. So I mean, I, I'm glad that she's keeping everything afloat during this time too. Yeah, that's it's tough for a nonprofit to to stay funded, you know, during this time. So I'm glad, you know, I'm grateful that they did the artist talk thing to help artists. But I'm I hope that it's helping them too. Yeah, and it's just nice to be able to share these stories. Like we just had a show a couple of weeks ago in October, or I guess now, but in October. It was just crazy. It just seemed normal. Everyone wore their masks, but it was everyone was there for the music. No one else cared what it looked like as long as there was music. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that's it's one of the silver linings I'm hoping for out of this is we we remember what is important and get back to that. You know, and, and 
I, I don't know how long it will last. You know, it will last for a couple of months, and then we'll just go back to being who we were pre pre COVID. But I I hope that there's some silver lining out of that in that way. Is that you know what we need to be grateful for this concert right here um, because it's not always going to be around. Well, and the other interesting thing is a lot more younger people have been going out to these concerts too. So it's been yeah. it's been cool to see that transformation. Yeah. You've left me with a lot of food for thought, so thank you. <laughs> Excellent. All right, thanks, Tom. Have you If you want to learn more about Off the Hook Arts, our Arts Alcove, or if you would be interested in submitting a piece to the Arts Alcove, check out our social media pages listed in the description below. Thank you so much for joining us today, and tune in next week for another Arts Alcove podcast.